you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. However, in this bonus episode review series, I'm reviewing Season 2 of Jordan Peele and Simon Kinberg's Twilight Zone reboot on CBS All Access, hosted by Jordan Peele. You can find more of Anthology, as well as full episode archives separated by main episodes and bonus episodes at anthologypod.com and if you want to contact me you can use the facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod tweet me at ovanthologypod or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com finally if you want to support the show and get access to exclusive content go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and pledge a minimum of one dollar per month for an exclusive rss feed with content recorded specifically for patreon supporters in this uh, in the uh, Patreon recording that I just recorded for this recording, um, I talked about uh, the 4th of July and uh, Hamilton on Disney Plus and a little bit of The Bad Batch from Anna Lily Amirpour, which I didn't actually finish, so that's not a full review. So anyway, check that out, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And yeah, let's get on with the show. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be discussing... Uh, I'm going to be discussing Ovation. It's the fourth episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, and it premiered on June 25th, 2020 on CBS All Access. Uh, but before I get to that review, I do have some pre-review notes from the uh, from previous episodes and everything. Now, last bonus episode was The Who of You, which I recorded before I recorded the other episodes, basically, or before I recorded Downtime. So I didn't get a chance to share any feedback or anything from the downtime review in the last episode because time travel. So (laughs) I do have some, uh, some feedback about downtime, but what I want to say first is I have a correction. Um, (laughs) in my review of downtime, I mentioned that it was the first time that Jordan Peele doesn't appear in the closing narration on the show. And that is just 100% incorrect. (laughs) Like in the episode, I even wrote, I even refer to it and I correct myself and say, well, he didn't appear in blurry man, but, uh, he also did not appear in the end of replay or six degrees of freedom or the blue scorpion in season one. Um, and those three, like at least replay and six degrees of freedom were two of my favorite episodes from season one so i'm just kind of amazed that i had such a brain fart about it um yeah and then there was an article in in on indiewire.com uh the kind of the headline of it was that the twilight zone jordan peele's reboot won't recreate old episodes which i thought was funny i didn't really go into depth in actually reading it but just that statement kind of hit me as kind of funny because as much as they don't want to admit that Nightmare at 30,000 Feet was a remake or a riff on Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, um, I think in the commentaries they reference it as just saying, saying like, well, we just wanted to make the title something that was similar to, um, similar to, <laughs> similar to the original series. And I'm just like, well, okay, that's, that's fine. But it's also like, there's, 
it, it is more of a riff on that. Um, I don't know, but I understand what they're saying. Basically, the quote was, if we're remaking old Twilight Zone episodes, I think we're not doing our job. And that's said by executive producer Wynn Rosenfeld, who follows me on Twitter. So thank you. I don't know if he listens. Uh, dear God, I hope not. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm proud of the show and I'm proud of my reviews and I'm proud of, you know, the stuff that they're doing because they are doing really, I'm, I am a fan of this iteration of the Twilight Zone. I will go on record and say that now and I hope that it gets renewed for season three. Um, so yeah, and that's not me ass kissing. I just really do like that. And I like reviewing the show the way that I do. So yeah. Okay. So I'll link to that review in the show or that article in the show notes. I'll probably read it before I record my review of among the untrodden so I can actually comment on it in my next episode, but I'll put a link in the show notes regardless. And then, uh, the other piece of, uh, feedback and everything that I have before going into my review is that I got some good feedback on, uh, the episode downtime. So Shelly on the Facebook page, uh, had a very, a very nice, uh, well thought out, thought out comment that I'm just going to read and everything. So Shelly writes, uh, Hey Matt, I really like this one. And this is about downtime by the way. So she said, Hey Matt, I really like this one and had some thoughts on points you raised for me. I think the point of the CSR is to settle down upset clients. So they keep coming back for more as happy customers. So I think this is why she has so much power in this virtual society. It's all about keeping the system rolling because nobody is disgruntled enough to break character, shatter the illusion, etc. So she can continue having this illusion of being powerful, in control, and beautiful, so long as she keeps playing the game. What I find really remarkable about this episode is that it was produced well before it aired, and now that the that the pandemic has hit, we uh, here we all are forced into quote downtime for world maintenance end quote, uh, where we all have the choice whether to just wake up or keep playing the game once we emerge without rocking the boat or challenging the system at all, because it gives us the illusion of being powerful in control and beautiful. And I think the point of him already being dead. So no real life to return to is because the past is already dead. We can't really return to it. Also find it interesting that we know so little about him, except that he, that he warned his wife not to break his heart, but he broke his own heart via suicide and hers. And all they have left is this weird, willful delusion he opted into. Opted into. Uh, there's a part of me that wishes the episode were more fleshed out and explored, but on the other hand, as it stands, it manages to allude to society at large without being too ham-fisted, so that's an improvement over last season. So thank you so much, Shelley, for writing in and sharing your thoughts on downtime. I definitely agree with you there, and um, as I said in, in the comment on Facebook, uh, I really like... How she um, references this current pandemic that we're in uh, as downtime for world maintenance. I thought that that was a really cool connection and everything. And uh, I'm, I may go back and rewatch downtime and kind of look at it through that lens because that's a really interesting take uh, for the for the episode and for the world that we're in now, <laughs> as messed up as it is and everything. So. Thank you again, Shelly. And of course, you guys can like the Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash uh, anthology pod. Yes. <laughs> anthology pod and, uh, comment there and, you know, follow me on Twitter at Ovia anthology pod, all that good stuff. So that's all the feedback and housekeeping that I have for, uh, for the podcast. So let me go into my review of ovation. So I'm going to be spoiling this episode of the new twilight zone season. So be fair warning. If you haven't watched ovation, go check it out and come back and listen to this review. So spoilers on for ovation. Here is a plot summary courtesy of CBS all access. 
The music career of struggling singer Jasmine takes off overnight after she after she witnesses a tragic incident. Jasmine begins receiving rapturous applause everywhere she goes, but she soon realizes the relentless recognition comes at a steep cost. This episode stars Journey Smollett Bell as Jasmine. She has been uh, she's known for her roles in Birds of Prey and Friday Night Lights, which I am always required to refer to it as Friday Night Lights. Um, that joke is never going to get old to me, but is certainly old to anyone who listens to any of my podcasts. So anyway, uh, next we'll see of Journey Smollett. She is going to be in uh, Lovecraft Country on HBO, which I'm not too familiar with, but I'm kind of intrigued by it. Um, I know that the trailer got some good buzz and everything. Uh, co-starring as Zara is Tawny Newsom. She has recently been in Space Force on Netflix, and she's in Lower Decks on CBS All Access. I don't know if that is an upcoming um, Star Trek show or one that's already there. I, I don't know, but um, yeah, she's on Lower Decks. And she's also known for Comedy Bang Bang, um, which a lot of people in this episode are. Um, I'm just a huge fan of Comedy Bang Bang, both the podcast and the show. So she has been in, I think, like 11 episodes of the, uh, of the podcast. And she, she does this character. Uh, she has done this character, um, called, I think it's Gary Urbaniak. Um, it's really, it's really hilarious. Um, as an aside, if you go to the Comedy Bang Bang wiki, um, like the fandom wiki page or whatever, um, and click on it, like go to any character that's done on the show. Like the whole concept of comedy bang bang is that it's this improv show where comedians come on and they play characters and it's all pretty much, pretty much completely improvised. Like they have some basic stuff. It's hosted by Scott Ackerman, who I have just a tons of respect for. He's, he's great. Um, and he kind of plays the sort of straight man to all the crazy characters and everything. So when, <laughs> when you have characters that come back to the show and everything, and they do this improv thing where they just, they just improvise backstory and improvise concepts and everything. So if you go to really any character's um, wiki page on there and just read like the summary of their character. It is just insane. It's nuts. The, the links that it goes to, like I'll put a link to Tawny Newsom's uh, character of, I think it's Gary Urbani, Urbaniak or Urbanski. Um, and just go to that link and just read the summary of that character. And it's, it's so ridiculous and, and hilarious. So anyway, uh, she plays Zara and as JJ Malloy is Thomas Lennon, who is known for Reno 911 and Night at the Museum and a ton of writing credits as well. Um, he was also in I Love You Man and obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but he is also, um, been on Comedy Bang Bang several times. So I'm, uh, know him from there too. And then kind of rounding out the cast is Paul F. Tompkins as Jimmy O'Malley, the talk show host. He's known for Bojack Horseman and you guessed it, Comedy Bang Bang. <laughs> um, so I actually copied and pasted his summary on the Comedy Bang Bang wiki page because he's, I mean, I have tons of respect for Paul F. Tompkins. He's amazing. And he, um, one of my favorite podcasts is Freedom with him and Scott Ackerman and Lauren Lapkus. And it's just, it's super just fun to hear them riff and just kind of talk and everything. So anyway, um, this is from the Comedy Bang Bang wiki page. Uh, Paul F. Tompkins is the most frequent guest and occasional co-host on, 
uh, Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, as well as the TV show. He has been a guest on the on most of the comedy podcasts on Earwolf Network. He currently appears alongside Nicole Parker on The Neighborhood Listen and with Scott Ackerman and Lauren Lapkus on Freedom. Several of his characters from the CBB universe also appear on the Super Ego podcast. In September of 2014, Paul officially joined the cast of Super Ego to the delight of all involved. He also used to host the podcast Spontanean Nation with Paul F. Tompkins, the Dead Authors podcast, and the Paul F. Tomcast, and was a regular on the Thrilling Adventure Hour. So I just have tons of respect for Paul F. Tompkins, and I uh, was delighted to see him on The Twilight Zone. Writers for this episode were Emily C. Chang and Sarah Amini, who previously wrote the first episode of the season, Meet in the Middle, which I was a huge fan of that episode. If you heard my review, I was I was quite taken with that episode. Director for this episode was Anna Lily Amirpour. Uh, she directed the season one episode, A Traveler, and she also directed the aforementioned A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and The Bad Batch. And also on Netflix, there is a new um, series of short films called Homemade, and she directed episode 17. Basically, it's just a bunch of people who have made homemade films, like filmmakers who have made homemade films in quarantine and everything. So I haven't been able to check it out, but each episode looks like it's about 10 episodes or 10 minutes long. And, uh, she directed episode 17. So check that out on Netflix. So ovation, uh, my initial thoughts before I get into my full review, I thought it was solid. Um, it is kind of a, I don't know. I, like the concept of crowds clapping regardless of talent or content is weirdly similar to the comedian from season one. So that kind of threw me off a little bit, but also kind of more importantly and, and bigger than that is that the ending to this episode was just really pretty lackluster for me. Um, the episode kind of takes, takes a certain shift, um, more than halfway through. And then I just couldn't really get on board with, with, uh, what happened in the rest of the episode, which I'll talk about in more detail, of course. But overall, I thought that this was just a, just an okay episode. Kind of, um, kind of, kind of a weak episode overall, but I, I kind of dug some of the themes and everything that it kind of toyed with. So I'll talk about that in my full review, but those are my initial thoughts. And once again, I'm going to be spoiling this episode right from the jump when I get into my review. So please go back and watch this episode if you haven't already and come back and listen to my review. Okay. So the episode opens with uh, Fiji, the singer that is the kind of hot commodity in this time in the Twilight Zone. So um, (laughs) we see her being directed in a music video. And okay, first of all, I hate the music video director's uh, directions. It's just, I, something about it just irritates me. <laughs> like, uh, like you're an octopus and, and you've got fire in your belly and, and you're going after your prey and everything. It just seems like such a cliched, like, directorism. Uh, I do kind of appreciate that it's a nod to the sixth episode of the season, uh, titled Eight, but it's still, it just comes across as a little silly for me. And I, I just, it kind of, I don't know, it just, it didn't sit well with me. So then Fiji goes to her, uh, not dressing room, but like the makeup chair. And it looks like this is the same, obviously the same set that they used for Blurry Man because that was their actual set for, uh, the Twilight Zone. And she's sitting in a chair and getting all the makeup done or whatever. And we see a writer behind her saying that, uh, like thanking her for letting her walk around with her and, and that the article is going to post in the coming weeks or whatever. And then she says, I can't wait to see what you do next. 
next. And Fiji says, yeah, it's going to be a really big hit. And uh, in retrospect, I kind of appreciate the not-so-subtle foreshadowing. Or it is subtle. It is subtle. Um, but because the next thing she does is she walks in front of a bus and it's a really big hit. Um, so I kind of, I kind of thought that was kind of funny, but also it's a little indicative of some of my problems with this episode because it's totally just weird, um, in the grand scheme of things, but I'll get more into that later. Um, so she leaves, she leaves and she's wandering around or walking around and she sees Jasmine singing. And this is our introduction to Jasmine. Um, the singer, she's, she's singing for change and everything. And she notices her and goes up to her and, you know, just says, Hey, I like, I like your song or I like your singing. And I like that, uh, Journey Smollett isn't like playing Jasmine as completely starstruck. It kind of gives this down to earth feel to her. Cause she's like, Oh, Hey, you're, you're Fiji. This is amazing. Um, and like, it's interesting cause like the camera goes back to Fiji and Fiji just looks exhausted and haunted. And it gives me, it gave me the impression of Gollum from Lord of the Rings just a little bit, which is apropos because it is very much that type of story, uh, for whoever possess, possesses the coin and everything. So Fiji asks her, Hey, what do you want? Like, what do you want out of this? And she's like, well, what, what do you have? And so she gives her the coin and says, what do I have? And then the fans come up and, and kind of accost Fiji. Um, that's when she leaves and she kind of waves goodbye to Jasmine and then walks in front of a bus and kills herself. Um, yeah. And that I thought was interesting. <laughs> it was shocking and, and, uh, thrilling and everything. And something that I do appreciate about the episode is that it doesn't explore that any further. Like after Fiji kills herself, Fiji's done. Like the character of Fiji does not factor into the story at all. And I think that that's a calculated thing for the story because this episode is all about fandom and the kind of artist relationship with fans and how our kind of pop culture is has a short-term memory so uh in a short uh, attention span so fiji just kind of killing herself and going away forever is the same as jasmine getting rid of the 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 coin later in the episode and then going away to the lake house presumably forever um it's kind of an interesting thing there. Um, because if you're not in the limelight, you don't matter in this story, in this, in this episode. So I'll expand on that a little bit more later, but I just thought that that was interesting, uh, right off the bat. So Jasmine then comes home and she lives with her sister and their dad. And she overhears them talking about her because they didn't hear her come in. And they're talking about like the dad says that there's a receptionist job, but he can't force Jasmine to apply for it. And then Zara says, Zara says some kind of cruel things, just saying that um, he's enabling this pursuit of a pointless dream that Jasmine has to be a famous singer and that she was just like she was singing on the street like a bum all day and everything, which I can understand where Zara is coming from because she clearly cares about her sister and she is someone who has a career and has an income and everything. And her sister is presumably living with her or not presumably it's she's definitely living with her. But I guess I don't know if the I don't know if their dad lives there too. It's kind of confusing. Like the family dynamic doesn't get explored really at all. And even, especially with the dad, really, the dad is the kind of big, kind of weak link in the, in the episode in terms of the family, because 
we only see him like twice and i honestly didn't even notice him in the crowd scene at the ovation scene later in the episode um until jasmine said like oh even dad was clapping um it's just i I feel like he was a little underutilized and i kind of wish it was a little bit more clear so uh i do understand where zara is coming from though that she's cares about her sister and she you know wants her sister to succeed and everything but she doesn't feel she doesn't believe in her sister i don't know if it's necessarily that she doesn't believe in her sister's talent but she doesn't believe in the idea of her sister becoming a a big musician and star. So Jasmine then goes to her room and starts writing. Um, I don't know, like it, you can't see necessarily what she's writing or maybe I just didn't look close enough, but I assume that she's probably writing the lyrics to fire lady, um, her big hit later in the episode. And so as she's writing, she's looking at the coin and I freeze framed it and I tried to look at it and everything. Uh, what I can make out of it is it, it's, it's, there's Latin inscriptions on it and then part of it is Vero and Venomous. Um, I couldn't find any info on it. Like it seemed like that was maybe, uh, or possibly a, uh, an original Twilight Zone reference of some kind, but, uh, I couldn't find anything to that effect. So I guess not. I thought first, uh, at the beginning, I really thought that it was, uh, that it might have said the same thing from a most unusual camera and replay, but no, it's something completely different. So then we get the last scene of the this opening thing before the opening narration. She starts playing Fire Lady at the memorial at the place where Fiji died, and everyone just starts applauding her and everything. And then Jordan Peele comes in the scene and does his opening narration, which I will play here. Jasmine Delancey has spent her entire life in search of one thing. Applause. Now that she's found it, it's given her a new sense of meaning. But what exactly is the value of an ovation so loud that grounds out the performance? Jasmine's about to find out here in the Twilight Zone. And a couple things about this uh, opening narration. First, I like the look of Peel. Like he, he's. He, I like the suit that he's wearing. He has this kind of black or dark gray suit with a turquoise pattern on on it and a, uh, a turquoise tie. I just think it looks cool. Um, and the narration itself is just okay. Like it's nothing too special or unique. However, I do like the line where he says, what exactly is the value of an ovation so loud it drowns out the performance? I think that that's good. And it speaks to the themes of the story, uh, that I'll get into throughout the review here. And so we get the opening scene and yeah, before I actually, you know, before I actually continue with this, I'll, I'll expand on my comment about the themes of the episode because, I think the themes of this episode and kind of, I don't want to say message of the episode, but the, just the ideas that are present in this episode, I think are stronger than the actual content of the episode itself, like the actual finished product. So I feel like this episode is about the relationship between artist and fan and the toll that toxic or passionate fandom takes on the artist. And I kind of want to give an example or give a, uh, I don't know. I don't know, an example of just really just extreme uh, toxic fandom and everything that I came across on Twitter. So um, Twitter user at Laura Bailey VO, um, I believe she's a voice artist for, uh, I think she was, uh, it was for um, The Last of Us Part Two, the video game. So she shared a tweet or she tweeted and said, man, I try to only post positive stuff on here, but sometimes this, uh, 
just gets a little overwhelming. I blacked out some of the words because, you know, spoilers. Side note, thank you to all the people sending me positive messages to balance it out. It means more than I can say. So she shared a bunch of tweets that are just ridiculous. Like, it's... um. It's in response to things that happened in The Last of Us Part 2, a video game that I assume she is a voice actress for. So some of the tweets, or the tweets in the screenshot that she shared were, I'm going to kill you because you blank, spoiler, in The Last of Us Part 2. I'm going to find where you live and slaughter you for what you did to blank. Mark my fucking words. I will stab you. Okay, those were from three different people. And then another tweet said, Just want to say you should die, bitch. Fuck you. You ruined it. Um, And then, I hope your parents die by a... Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. I hope your parents die by a hard cancer for blank. Something in Last of Us Part 2. I will find you and I will kill your kid for that. Just wait for it. Or just wait for that. Fuck you, dumb... Uh, bitch, go fuck yourself. Like, I just, holy crap. Like, people are just, I really hope that they, that she reported them because fuck them. God, I, I hate people. I really do. You guys are great though. I think, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, in response to that, James Gunn, uh, tweeted, uh, he retweeted that and commented on it. And someone said, so passionate fans can't have opinions. Granted, a very small percentage are assholes. So my other question is, why focus on the assholes and not the legitimate critique? And James Gunn had a great response to this. He says, because online abuse in all its forms is a much bigger issue than the perceived lack of quality of any particular work. That so many of you are tweeting, okay, yeah, sure, the death threats, but why aren't you tweeting about the legit criticism shows you really don't get it. And then he followed that up with a really great analogy and said, it's like the friend of the abusive boyfriend saying, yeah, I know Brad hit her for not washing the dishes, but why do you keep talking about the fact that he hit her and not the fact that she didn't wash the dishes? Like, that is a great analogy, and fuck you if you defend any type of just vitriolic nonsense that uh, that people spout at creative people or any kind of artist or anything um as if they owe you anything like ah i that just gets my ire up so much so the reason i bring that up is that the conceit of this episode of the twilight zone is that jasmine has been given what she has wanted fame but the adverse effect of that is the applause. People applaud her wherever she goes, no matter what she does or how she does it. She can be running with her sister and then get overwhelmed by fans. She can completely screw up a performance, but the fans will still love her for it. Um, and I feel like this is a good commentary on the the concept of idolization of artists and the way that people tend to put their fandom and their love of a, of a particular artist on a pedestal and make their fandom kind of a defining trait of their own personality. And like, I don't begrudge anyone their fandom. Like if you are a fan of something, if you're passionate about something, that's great. Just be respectful about it. Like don't just don't be toxic and, and, uh, just, just crappy toward people. But I think the byproduct of this kind of idea, this idolization of, of artists and everything, is that the fans believe that they have ownership over the artist's work, which is just patently untrue. Like, that is not the case. And I have a couple of examples that I won't get into too much of a tangent about, I promise. Um, but the, the go-to example I have is Star Wars. Like, I'm not a big fan of Star Wars, really, by any stretch, and I've just 
been watching the whole sequel trilogy um, as an outsider to the fandom and seeing the response from a vocal minority of fans who are so just entitled and shitty toward the creatives involved with Star Wars. Um, like that alone, like, okay, I'm not a fan of Star Wars. My probably my favorite Star Wars movie is The Last Jedi because it is so unlike any other Star Wars movie because it expands on a lot of things. It really it, it I liked it a lot. I'm not going to defend it. I liked it a lot. Listen to the obsessive viewer. But a lot of very vocal fanboys of Star Wars hated The Last Jedi and as a result, The Rise of Skywalker was the most retcon-laden fanboy pandering piece of just barely coherent crap. And it's directly in response to appeasing those fanboys who hated The Last Jedi because it quote-unquote ruined Star Wars and ruined Luke Skywalker, which I don't think it did. I think it was a very well-done story and Ryan Johnson is amazing. So, I don't know. I I just I I hate that. I hate that kind of side of fandom and everything. Um another example is the Snyder cut of the of Justice League. Um fans who were disappointed, I guess, by Justice League uh because uh, Joss Whedon had to come in and finish up the production because Zack Snyder had to uh, had to leave because of a family tragedy. Um so for years people have been pestering Warner Brothers and talking about like oh release the Snyder cut because like in it's it's not even something that people knew existed or not <laughs> like it's just like there were whispers and everything that there's a cut of Justice League that is Snyder's vision of the of of the movie um so anyway, they're now getting a special Snyder cut of the movie on HBO Max that's going to come out next year because pestering studios and frankly bullying them into releasing something uh, like that just worked. And the thing about it is when they announced it, my understanding is that they announced it as like, oh, it's going to take like this much money to, to produce it and everything and get it posted on HBO Max and everything. So it didn't exist. But because of the outcry, because of just endless pestering from fans they're going to release it uh they're going to create it and release it which i i just i don't know anyway my third example is to a lesser extent sonic the hedgehog had to be delayed and the cgi redone because of internet backlash when the trailer came out and on one hand yeah if they have the resources sure go ahead and redo the cgi whatever sonic was fine but also i feel like that's a slippery slope uh because art isn't standing on its own and it's being altered because of fan reaction before the release of it and everything. So like, I don't know, I'm firmly, firmly in the camp that art should be made and released and simple as that. Like you don't have ownership over anything. When the dark tower came out, I hated it, but I didn't demand that we see the Stephen King cut of it or anything like that. Like it's just, it exists. It sucked. I moved on and I created a podcast in, in, uh, in response to it, but still that's, that's not the same. <laughs> so anyway, this episode, this episode of the twilight zone, I'm sorry for the tangent. I hope you guys don't mind, but, uh, <laughs> if, if you do mind, tweet at me, hashtag <laughs> release the mat cut. Um, <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. Anyway, so this episode is about the artist, Jasmine. She's being silenced by her fandom. So she has one song and it is continuously drowned out by applause. And because the fan machine, and it's because the fan machine doesn't care about content. It's, it, they only care about the artist as an idol. And I think that that's a pretty impressive and powerful statement that the show makes. Unfortunately, the episode that it's tied to just wasn't that great. So anyway, to get back to the scenes of the episode, um, Jasmine is singing and uh, people are applauding her and everything. That's when J.J. Malloy comes up, played by Thomas Lennon. And I really like Thomas Lennon's performance. He's a little over the top, but he's still kind of grounded. And uh, like like Jasmine says later in the episode, he re- she refers to him as a corny TV guy. Um but I like this scene because he's he's very confident and it's kind of silly. He's like, I just got to pick up my jaw off the floor. It's just like it's very heightened and, and weird and kind of kind of silly. Um, but he seems kind of patient in their conversation. Like she's not starstruck by him or anything. And she undersells the importance of this encounter and of ovation. Uh, ovation standing in pop culture and everything. And yet he's just kind of slowly waiting to pitch her the idea of going on ovation. Um and I just, I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like that interaction because like, she's like, Oh yeah, my dad watches that. And he's like, everyone's dad watches that. <laughs> I don't know. Something about that line delivery. I, I really liked. Um, and then he says, you know, I can make you a star, right? And I've got to say, no matter what the context is, like, this is a very like earnest context in this, in this episode. But no matter what the context is, that phrase always feels creepy to me. <laughs> like, I can make you a star. Like, that just seems so creepy to me. But here, it's fine. It's, it's in a different context. It's, it's okay. But just, I don't know. It always just rubs me, rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, it's a brief encounter. And then Jasmine tells Zara that, you know, he was, uh, that she's going to go on ovation. And Zara mentions that she can't make it to it to the show because she's busy with surgery and they kind of have like, this is just to kind of establish that, Oh, she's a surgeon. And, um, it's leading to the scene later after the first, uh, or in the lead up to the finals, um, when, when they argue and have their kind of almost falling out essentially. So we get ovation and the set is cool. It's slick. Um, it's very much, uh, like Thomas Lennon is very much playing up the TV show host persona, which I thought was really, uh, delightful. Honestly, um, there's a guy that's singing kind of off key. I think I've, I honestly, I've said this before. I really don't have an ear for music at all. <laughs> um, but I do like that. That's the first example. Like, okay, there's a guy who can't sing, who is singing, um, and failing. And that kind of demonstrates how hard it is and how, like what the stakes are, I guess. And then Jasmine goes up next and she, <laughs> I thought it was kind of charming. She doesn't know how to, she doesn't know to just play. And, uh, and she kind of turns back to JJ and she's like, do I just start playing? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. Go ahead. Um, and as soon as she starts playing, uh, after, well, after a few lines, uh, in the lyrics, everyone starts to cheer. And, Honestly, there's not much to say about this or the last scene or the last couple of scenes. Like the episode overall is kind of bland up to this point. Um, and still it's slightly just reminding me of the comedian. And I don't know. It just, it's, it just seems kind of, uh, kind of uninteresting up, up until now to an extent. It's all kind of setting things up. 
And yeah, so she continues playing and she doesn't even get to finish the song before the applause starts and kind of overtakes her. Um, and then we transition to another scene. Again, this is just kind of going scene by scene. And it's, I mean, I hope that this is engaging podcasting because it wasn't that engaging to watch it, to be honest. Um, and here is another scene that's just doing a lot of heavy lifting. She's being interviewed for an Ovation TV segment. And she mentions that she learned to play on her mother's guitar, which is the guitar that she still has. And she references the lake house, which comes into play later, of course. And then she also mentions that she and Zara used to write songs together. And that uh, Jasmine sang a song that uh, she and Zara wrote at her mo- at their mother's funeral. And everyone was just overcome with emotion by it. Or, or they were... They were happy with it, I think. I don't know. But this is all seeding the idea that Zara will become a musician and become Minx later in the episode. So, and, and that's fine. It's just this scene is doing a lot of narrative heavy lifting and exposition and everything disguised as character development, which is fine. Like, it works okay. It's just this... It's just, it's just moving the, it's just moving the episode along without doing anything really that engaging. And, uh, that I feel is a little bit of a problem. So then we have Jasmine running with Zara and they take a break to get a hot dog from the hot dog vendor. And the hot dog vendor is like, Hey, it's on the house. Just follow me on social media. <laughs> and that's when fans starting to start to come up. And one of them says, can I get a picture? I'm a huge fan. And I thought that that particularly stood out to me because this is after just one appearance on the show. And again, it plays into the whole fan versus artist dynamic and how fans are like fans can latch on to something um, that doesn't quite earn the adulation that they get. Um, um, because it's just part of their personality trait is that they're a fan of this thing. That's my read of it. Maybe that's a cynical view of it. I don't know, but that's kind of what I gathered from this, or that's what I latched onto here. So then Jasmine is getting ready for finals, for the finals, and she's dressed in a very flashy dress. It's kind of revealing, and Zara comes in, and she claims that it's, that it isn't her. It, it's not like her. It's not... Uh, she's not being Jasmine and she kind of makes a little joke about it. It's like, is that the back of the dress or the front of the dress? Um, and that's when they start to argue. And I really, I really did like this scene. So this is showing that Jasmine's ego is starting to get more and more inflated. And it's to the point that she, like she, like she claims that Zara, Zara's job, which is a freaking heart surgeon isn't as important as her music career. And that's just like, I thought that that was a really interesting kind of uh, character development for Jasmine because she's just overcome with this ego and everything. She's turning into just a different person that's more mean and snappy and everything. Um, And I think that's because um, Zara isn't being an adoring fan to Jasmine in this moment. Zara is being Jasmine's sister. And that's why Jasmine is being just short with her and everything. Because Jasmine in this moment is succumbing to the ego boost of unearned fandom. And she has this inflated sense of self, uh, uh, herself, uh, an overinflated kind of sense of narcissism essentially which is a common trope trope in the twilight zone so i appreciate this episode for this for this kind of character development and everything and then jasmine in the height of their kind of little argument that they have uh tells zara not to come to the show that she doesn't want her there and that honestly that to be honest that kind of bummed me out like that was kind of a good um 
a good way to kind of put a button on the argument scene um, because it just, I'm, I felt the emotion of that. I felt empathy for Zara and I thought that that was um, just a really uh, hard scene to watch because it was just um, kind of emotional, I guess. So then they're at Ovation. Uh, Jasmine is at finals. We have the introduction to Ovation. The announcer says, Welcome to Ovation, presented by Mr. Dingle's Ice Cream. It's so good, you'll die for it. Um, eh. So, and they have the little hashtag that says, You'll die for it. And I thought that was kind of funny. But the the whole Mr. Dingle's Ice Cream, like, I don't know. I like that later in the season we get Mr. Dingle's Moving Company. And we also get a reference to Bemis uh, Bank. Those are good. Um, I just don't get why Dingle is ice cream in this episode and Point of Origin. Like, I don't understand it. I, I guess I understand with Point of Origin because it's playing the uh, the um, This Land Was Made for You and Me song um, in ice cream truck tones. <laughs> but... I just, I don't get, like, I don't get the connection between Mr. Dingle and ice cream because Mr. Dingle was just a normal guy who aliens gave him super strength. Like, that's it. Like, that makes more sense to have it be a moving company than have ice cream. But I digress. So, Jasmine goes to perform. And I like how, I, first of all, I like how kind of cheesy slash sincere Thomas Lennon is as the host. I just think he kind of nailed that performance. But as Jasmine starts playing, she is getting the crowd worked up or the crowd is getting worked up and applauding and everything. But she starts to mess up. And that's when she realizes that it doesn't matter what she does. Um, they'll applaud for her and everything. And again, it's just, it's the same way that it didn't matter what Samir Wasan did on stage in the comedian. He still got laughs. And it's just, it's just too similar to that episode. And it's weird that, I mean, this series, this version of the twilight zone has 20 episodes so far. And two of them have kind of a very similar, um, conceit to it. I just, I thought that that was kind of weird. So, Anyway, she's she's flubbing it and uh, she's messing up the performance. Yet everyone is still clapping. It's overtaking the sound of of the soundtrack and everything, and the applause meter blows up. <laughs> and every time I've watched this episode, that made me jump and startled me and everything. I just think that that's a that was a pretty cool moment. Um, yeah, and then after that, we get the phone going off and uh, with clap emojis waking her up and everything, and we see that there are fans that are gathered outside her house cheering. Um, and man, this, <laughs> my next note is so stupid, but, um, like my, my thought was, God, I'm glad that I'm just a humble podcast mogul. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm a podcast mogul guys. I just, I have three podcasts and yeah. Anyway, um, I'm just, I'm glad I'm just a humble podcaster cause I could not deal with that type of attention. Like that just sounds like a freaking nightmare, which is the intention of the episode, I think. Um, and it does a good job of demonstrating that. Like, I don't, I don't understand how any celebrity can face doing that kind of thing, like being on all the time and having to interact with people that come up to you on the street, um, and, and just to interact with you. Like the dynamic is so weird. Like the idea that, a, that a person's work has such an effect on a, another person that that person is like, that that person interrupting the celebrity's day is literally making the day of the person and the celebrity has to kind of deal with it. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's a weird world. It's a very weird, weird world. Um, and so now that we've seen 
Jasmine mess up on stage, mess up her performance, I kind of want to talk about another theme that this episode kind of flirts with. So something that I think this episode handles pretty decently, especially in the scene coming up with Zara and Jasmine, is the idea of imposter syndrome. Like, it's not explored all that much, but here's where we get the kind of biggest case of it. Like, I like that Jasmine's performance in the finals kind of wakes her up to the supernatural stuff going on, but it's also, like, you're your own worst critic. But... um I think that it's it's more that she's waking up to the idea that this fandom, that this cheering is not natural. Like, it's not a reflection of her talent. It's just something supernatural. And I think that that's really interesting. Um, and it kind of comes into play somewhat at the end of the episode, or at least when she's in the lake house and she sees the magazine about Minx. Um, it's kind of okay. It's kind of flirted with there, but... Um, I just I think that that's an interesting kind of thing that it that the episode kind of dips its toes into but doesn't really explore all that much. Um yeah, so there Zara and Jasmine are kind of making up. Uh Zara offers a peace off, offering of uh of of breakfast and there's a moment where Jasmine comes clean and, and tells Zara about the coin. And what I found interesting about this is that Zara doesn't believe her, which is an interesting reversal from the first season of the show. So the show in the first season made a point to make characters believe one another throughout the season for the most part. So like in uh, Not All Men, when uh, Tessa Farmiga tells uh, Rhea Seahorn about, about the meteors and... Uh, there was something else. <laughs> Another big one that I thought of. Um, oh, in replay, when Nina tells her her brother about the camera and he's just like, oh, yeah, I believe you. So, like, that's something that was kind of a running theme throughout a lot of the first season episodes. But here, but here, um, this is in contrast to that because this season of the show is all about the existential nightmare of the Twilight Zone. Like the tagline for the season, as I've said before, is escape. And when whatever you're escaping from or into, whenever that thing is something outlandish and supernatural, not being able to confide in people and not being believed when you confide in people about it makes it all the more difficult and scary. So I think that that's a very, um, conscious and, uh, well done kind of choice that they, that they made. Um, because it just brings Jasmine to more of a, of a frenetic point in her, in her journey through this episode and her journey to escape. Um, but Zara eventually just like, she's trying, trying to comfort Jasmine and says something to the effect of like, Oh yeah, well you are the winner of ovation. So she's convinces her to kind of embrace her newfound celebrity. And, as if the last few scenes weren't kind of just, uh, I don't want to, I want to, I want to come short of saying uninteresting, but the other scenes have just been kind of, um, kind of moving the plot along. Uh, the next scene is just a sort of montage and that's, again, it's just kind of tiring. Um, we see Jasmine kind of being accosted by fans on the street and Jasmine then yells to the growing crowd outside for them to go home. And then finally we see, um, Zara and Jasmine running again and people chasing her, chasing her for attention. And then that's when she, like they hide behind, they hide behind the hot dog cart. And I thought that was kind of funny because it was, I don't know. It was, 
kind of I don't want to say it was silly. It was fine. It was fine. But I just thought like it was kind of funny that they just hid and the horde of fans just ran away. Um but Zara tells Jasmine that she can't believe she's entertaining this idea, but you need to get rid of the coin. And Jasmine says she can't go back to just singing on the street. Like she can't go back to what it was before. And what I think was interesting is that like as as borderline silly as the hiding behind the hot dog cart was, that scene, I wonder if this was intentional because it feels like it reminded me of that scene in Lord of the Rings in the Fellowship of the Ring where uh, Frodo and the the rest of the 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 gang of hobbits are hiding from the from the wraiths I think was that what they were called I don't know it's been a while since I've watched it um so where they're hiding by the tr- uh, by the tree and the ring wraiths and they were coming up and they were kind of like looking uh looking for uh, the hobbits in the ring and Frodo almost puts the ring on. He might put the ring on and run away. I don't know. But anyway, um, it reminded me of that because they're kind of crouched down by the hot dog cart. And obviously this is a very Lord of the Ringsian kind of story because this coin is this talismanic object that just sucks the life force out of Jasmine because it is giving her everything she needs. Like it's the power that comes from the coin is the same kind of power and, um, uh, temptation that comes from the ring and everything. It's, it's just a, a talismanic thing. So I can forgive the episode for a somewhat, ho- uh, for a somewhat hokey, um, setup of them hiding behind the, the hot dog cart because it kind of evokes something from another piece of media. And I think that's an interesting reference, um, intentional or otherwise. So the next scene we get is her Jasmine on a talk show appearance. Um, I can't remember what the name of the talk show is. There was a little thing on it, but um, hosted by Paul F. Tompkins, who, as I've said before in this episode, I'm a big fan of. I'm I huge respect for him. So it was it was I was delighted to see him um, on the Twilight Zone. And this scene is a big moment because it's the episode really showcasing that artist versus fan dynamic, like. She's on a talk show. She's going to talk to this person about her process, about her career, about her talent and everything. And the fans who are just clapping along uh, and everything don't care about anything she says. They just clap for her. Um, and she can barely get an, a word in edgewise. And it's it's just really um, an interesting dynamic at, at play here or, or kind of a heightened kind of satirical satirical look to the artist and fan dynamic in the most toxic cases so the host says uh, he asks where she got the inspiration for for her big song fire lady and she says that fiji inspired fire lady and that she wouldn't be here if it wasn't for fiji and again i like that fiji literally does not factor into the story at all after her death. I've, I've said that before. It just speaks to the disposability of celebrity and the short attention span of pop culture. And that's evident when Jasmine says she, referring to Fiji, was really special. And the crowd is cheering. And so Paul F. Tompkins says, I think they're saying you're special. And it's just now that someone else has taken the place of Fiji, Fiji does not exist in the world of, in, in the minds of the fans who take the take the work that uh, the artist creates and it's cynical but it seems kind of true to the nature of fandom to an extent um it's just kind of bleak and cynical and that's when uh, the host suggests that jasmine sing her song and 
they can't, she can't even hear him because of the applause. And, um, it's just the episode, the, the episode taking more steps to make it just more enveloping her and, and kind of taking, taking bigger steps, bigger and bigger steps to close in on Jasmine and have her be this person that needs to escape this hell that she's in that she wished for essentially. So Jasmine leaves the show and she's being driven away from, from the studio and Oh God. Okay. This is such a silly sequence. (laughs) Like this is where the episode kind of goes a little bit borderline over the top. Well, pretty over the top. So the driver is driving her. She's in the backseat. It's this black uh, SUV. And the driver turns on the radio and he's like, oh, hey, Miss Delancey, there's your song. And, and he starts clapping. <laughs> he starts clapping and takes his hands off the wheel, claps and everything. And they almost get into an accident. And she's like, she's telling him to turn it off. He's not listening. She has to jump up and, and steer the car and turn it off herself. It's this big like action set piece. And it's just so weird because it's just <laughs> the concept is so out there and, and silly that I can take it as a serious like threat to her livelihood and and her character and a threat to her life in the episode but it's also just the it's so the setup of it the conceit of it is just so over the top like everything up until now like people have been clapping and been been crazed and everything but this is like this is just like intentional or not it's just silly and funny and i don't know if it really matches the tone thus far in this episode um and then it doubles down on it jasmine goes to the hospital where zara is performing surgery and uh the song is playing on the radio in the or and we get a very very quick glimpse of the radio and it's a whipple brand radio of course but I thought that was interesting that it's not as in your face as as the Easter eggs have been in previous episodes. So the song is playing, and once Jasmine actually gets there, that's when everyone starts clapping. And uh, the patient starts clapping too. And like, I don't know. Like, this is where the episode really ramps into super silly territory. And I don't really mind it all that much, to be honest, but it gets it gets to this point and then immediately takes it down like the rest of the episode drops it down in tone and makes it a more darker episode and i think that that juxtaposition that switch in tone um is just a little jarring and that's one of the reasons why i wasn't too crazy about this episode overall or especially the ending um but I'll get to that in a, in a bit because the next scene is Jasmine and Zara are standing by the water and they're talking about throwing the coin away. And Jasmine can't get rid of it because she's she says she's nothing without it. And I have in my notes that this is where she comes she becomes like full golem. Um and she just she can't bear to throw it away. So she gives it to Zara and Zara throws it away. Um yeah. And then the next scene is kind of another montage thing where Jasmine goes to the lake house to kind of lay low. It kind of has this um, addict in recovery type of feel to it, which I I thought was interesting. Fine. Um, 
the she keeps getting mail like she goes and checks the uh, magazines and everything uh the magazine is reporting that jasmine has dropped off the face of the earth and everything and no one knows where she went and we see her try to play the guitar also in this montage but she can't so like she could play it before obviously but it's interesting that the coin has taken her talent away from her um and like that's the bargain that she's that she's done she wants fame but she's she doesn't want to be she wants fame but the coin is not giving going to give her the fame without taking something away from her and when she casts it, casts it aside so i thought that was kind of interesting and we get another kind of piece of heavy lifting and foreshadowing. Um, she's using a large hunting knife to cut open her food and everything. She's just making like ramen and stuff. Uh, foreshadowing for the ending. Fine. Um, then we get another scene where she gets a new edition of the magazine. And it has a spread on this new music sensation called Minx. And okay. So... It's pretty obvious that Minx is Zara, and I don't care that I could predict that. What I care about is that the episode doesn't give us room to suspect Minx of being anyone other than Zara. Like, there's no one else that this possibly, that this person could possibly be. So, of course, it's going to be Zara, and of course, it's going to lead to something terrible. Uh, I didn't quite think that it was going to lead to her stabbing her in the back, <laughs> Um, which I had problems with and I'll talk about in a bit, but, um, I just, there was just like the second I saw Minx, I was like, Oh, it's Zara. Okay. Then fine. Whatever. Um, yeah, I just, I, that just, I was indifferent to that and I a little disappointed, I should say. So Jasmine is now starting to become consumed with jealousy and she just is screaming and, and yelling and everything. Um, so Another issue that I have is that I like I just don't buy that her jealousy and anger over losing everything to some new star is enough to lead her to murder. Um, it's it's just a really big shift, and this comes pretty late in the episode. There's only like ten minutes left of this episode, and I guess I can kind of rationalize it by the fact that she did lose everything and is now a shell of a person. But ultimately, it just feels unearned. It feels like the episode is just trying to get us to the ending without doing enough legwork to really set the character up for the ending and for that decision that she makes. It just feels just so extreme for someone that we don't see that gradual. We don't see enough of a uh, transition to just murder mode. Um, I just don't see that at all. Um, so after she's kind of been screaming to herself and everything, she packs up, she takes the knife and, uh, she goes back home and she starts singing on the street again, which I can appreciate that because it's her trying to just reclaim what she was before. It's not, she's not going straight to murder someone. She's trying to reclaim her former life and she gets really just brutally heckled by those, by the guys that are walk, walking by. Uh, talking, <laughs> they, uh, they imitate her singing with a screechy voice and saying that it's, she sounds like a cat. And <laughs> now that I'm saying it out loud, I kind of wonder if whenever my voice cracks, that's the sound that this, that is made on this podcast. <laughs> and my voice has been cracking a lot. I don't know why. Maybe puberty is coming. I don't know. And it just did there. Jesus. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, I, I'm 34 guys. Like I'm not a teenager. Anyway, um, 
so she gets heckled. Uh, she gets heckled, and it's super harsh. And then that's when JJ Malloy passes by, and she rushes up to him. And she's like, "Oh, hey, JJ, you know, it's me, it's me, it's me." And he doesn't recognize her. He's threatened by her. He thinks that she's homeless, which I guess technically she maybe kind of is. I don't know because she doesn't really go back home. Which that would be again. That, I mean, that she just doesn't seem to go back home, and that would be. And I think because. That would show like, oh, Minx is Zara, and that would ruin the ending, and that feels just a little bit sloppy and unearned to me. Or that's that's uh, that's the episode skipping a step, um, because it would give away the ending that is ultimately kind of lackluster. So after that encounter with JJ, she sees Minx's name on the bus and how it says sold out everywhere and everything. It's a um, she's sees that and remembers that she was on the bus and, and she was the kind of big person there. Um, so this is her just noticing that, you know, Minx took everything from her. Um, and so that's when Jasmine decides to go to Minx and this, we're at the end of the episode. The crowd is cheering. They're inside some, it looks like a, like, uh, some kind of venue. It looks kind of like an opera place but i don't know it's some kind of elegant venue and there's a crowd forming around uh around uh minx and the crowd is cheering and jasmine just looks so deranged and everything rushes up stabs minx in the back again feel like it's unearned it's it doesn't really they the episode doesn't really do enough work to set her up to that moment and then that's when it's revealed that it's zara and uh, that J- Jasmine just kind of snaps out of it and yells for them to get her help because it's her sister and everything. And again, I just, I just don't really buy that Jasmine would murder a complete stranger purely out of jealousy. Um, I, I guess I can kind of rationalize it in the fact that, I mean, when Fiji gave up the coin, she killed herself. So maybe this is just a byproduct of the coin. Like there's precedent within the logic of the episode for her to go to such an extreme. But the only reaction we have or the only, the only thing that we have showing what the actions of a person who gives up the coin does is self-harm. Like this is just a weird leap to make her just flat out murder someone that she doesn't know. Um, it's just, it's a big leap and I, I just didn't buy into it and it kind of, uh, made the episode a little bit lackluster for me. So as Zara is bleeding and the commotion and everything, we see that she's holding the coin, uh, in her hand and I don't know. So like this, I wouldn't say I have a problem with it cause I'm indifferent to it, but if the episode wasn't so content on it being a surprise that Zara is Minx, I would have liked to see a scene where the coin finds its way back to Zara, or even if they wanted to preserve the Minx is Zara twist, um, I would have liked to seen just showing, uh, that the coin wasn't going to stay in the water somehow. Um, like they could still hide that it comes back to Zara, but just show that it is on the move, that it, that it isn't out of the picture yet. Um, but again, that also just, it, the whole fact that Minx is Zara is just a little too obvious and, and, uh, just doesn't really do anything for me. So probably the best thing about this episode, in my opinion, <laughs> that might seem harsh is the quote unquote closing narration because there's no closing narration. So Jordan Peele picks up the coin, 
looks around, puts it in his pocket with this knowing glare to the camera, and then starts clapping as he walks off screen. And I love that. I thought that was really cool. It was very cheeky and fun. But also, it's a very sharp left turn from the tone of even just that last scene. So the episode as a whole is just kind of inconsistent in tone. We have this episode where people are applauding this person just because she's a person and that's a little silly and then we have like uh <laughs> we have we have almost a car accident because a driver is just clapping along we have someone under the knife in an operating room uh clapping along to the music and everything and then and then we have just the, our protagonist flat out murdering or attempting to murder a complete stranger because she's jealous of the of the limelight that she uh, gave up and is now transferred over to someone else that isn't her. And then we have the closing scene where Jordan Peele picks up the coin and is just kind of like with a wink and a nod to the cameras clapping along to the crowd um, as the sister of the protagonist of the episode is bleeding out. Um, it's just, it's weirdly like inconsistent in tone and it just didn't really mesh well with me there. Um, I don't really have any notes or anything as far as the episode is concerned or any trivia or anything since it's a new episode, obviously. And I've referenced the Easter eggs that were throughout the episode as I went through the review. Um, I do not remember if I, Oh yes, I did. Okay. So anyway, um, (laughs) That's neither here nor there. So uh, I did not detect any Stanley Kubrick references in this episode. Maybe I missed something. Um, I don't think I did. But if I did, let me know. Because I feel like that was pretty clearly maybe a running thing throughout the throughout the season. But I've watched all the episodes at this point, And I don't think I caught any more except for in uh, You Might Also Like. So maybe just a few of the episodes have that. And then it was just an unintentional thing. I don't know. But anyway, that's my review of ovation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, let me know what you thought of ovation. If I was completely off the mark or if my opinions lined up with yours, let me know what you thought. Just, uh, you know where to reach me. I said it at the top of the episode and I'll say it in the, or my friend Mike will say it in the pre-recorded outro. So yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Um, I'm posting this on Tuesday, July 7th, and I'm really hoping that I'll get my review for Among the Untrodden, episode 5, over, uh, posted on the, what day would that be? The 9th? Yeah, Thursday the 9th. I'm going to shoot for that. Hopefully I can stick to that. And then next week on the show, um, I'm going to take just a one-week break from the new series, and I'm going to do kind of a special, um, between the seasons, uh review with my friend tiny that i'm going to bring on so that'll be coming up soon that'll be episode 64 of the main feed of the podcast so um if you're curious what that's going to be just check the um the archives on anthologypod.com because i have it listed there because i'm an anal retentive uh podcast mogul so uh that'll do it for this episode this bonus episode of anthology thank you guys so much for listening and uh i'll see you next time with the review of among the untrodden so thank you guys and have a good one And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, I know I retweeted it. It's here somewhere. Um, okay, it's... <laughs>
<laughs> this is from uh, at Pixelated Boat. It said, finally watching Hamilton. This is what everyone was so excited about. <laughs> and, the pic- <laughs> and the picture was from Hamilton. And <laughs> it had the caption. <laughs> it had the caption. Uh, <laughs> it had the caption. My name is Hamilton, and I'm here to say <laughs> we're going to learn the history of the USA. <laughs> It's so dumb. It's so dumb. Um, and then the, the follow-up tweet to that was, Colonial rule by England is what I detest. Writing the Federalist Papers is what I do best. <laughs> and then just, I, I love that idea of just taking captions or taking uh, screenshots from Hamilton and putting just really just shitty raps. <laughs> As captions, I think that's 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 hilarious. Um, so yeah, so uh, it was great. The anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com/archive. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com/AnthologyPod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!